we're going to begin a series, a two-week series starting today called The Master Class in Prayer. Well, this morning, we're going to le- learn from the master prayer himself, Jesus, when it comes to prayer. You know, if you had the opportunity to ask Jesus any one question, like face-to-face, like you and I are talking this morning, you could ask Jesus one thing, what would you ask? Like maybe would you ask, hey, Jesus, how do I lose 10 pounds before Monday? Would you ask him, you know, how do I get that promotion at work? How do I position myself strategically? How do I like the right people, friend and unfriend the right people so that I can get that promotion at work? Or maybe you're really spiritual and you're like, Jesus, how do I perform miracles on demand? Just like you did. But you prayed for everyone and it seemed like they got healed. How can I do that? Like, what's the question you would ask Jesus if you could speak to him face to face Well, you know, the disciples had that opportunity. They got to spend uh, face time with Jesus, and they got to ask him a question. And their question was this, teach us how to pray. See, if you wanted to learn about landscape photography, you'd want to schedule some time with Ansel Adams. Or if you wanted to maybe learn how to be a better basketball player, you would go and sit down with Michael Jordan and learn how to be a better basketball player. But if you want to learn how to pray, then you want to talk, uh, you want to learn from Jesus himself. See, there's no doubt that Jesus prayed, and there was no doubt that his prayers were very effective. Prayer is one of the most vital components to our faith. It's often underutilized to its fullest capacity. Prayer is so vital to our relationship with God, and, and I wonder if our inconsistency in praying is misunderstanding of what prayer is and how to pray. So over the next two weeks, we're going to look at how to pray and next week, how not to pray. But we were going to start this on a positive foot on how to pray because we've got our uh, monthly prayer meeting tonight that I want you to come back for. And so we're going to look at how to pray. If you don't feel confident or competent in prayer, Jesus provides us with the template so we can learn how to pray. See, it's not meant to be a liturgical recital, but a structure to help you pray. See, prayer is simply having a conversation with God, which is vital to your relationship with him and your spiritual growth. So let's look uh, from Matthew chapter 6 at five components for effective prayer. Let's read this morning from the Bible. It says this, pray then like this. This is Jesus talking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, I ask this morning that as we look into your word and we look at the lesson Jesus, your son, gave to the disciples on how to pray, that you'll teach us something this morning about prayer. If our prayer life's been a little stagnant of late, I pray that you'll breathe fresh life into our prayer routine. I pray, God, that if our habits in prayer have been doing well, that you'll even propel us further this morning as we look at the lesson you gave your disciples on prayer. So speak to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, as we look at this essential passage on prayer, it's significant to point out the plural pronouns used in this prayer. As Jesus is laying a foundation for us to spend time in prayer with him, he's also given us the understanding that prayer is not a solo venture. It's not something we're just to do alone, but there's a time when we're to come together as a group. Notice in the prayer, verse 9, he says, Our Father. In verse 11, he says, Give us. In verse 12, Forgive us. Not me. Forgive us. Uh, He says, As we forgive. And then he says, Lead us not. See, this highlights the shared interest that we have to come together and to seek God in prayer. See, prayer is a discipline that we should partake uh, in, in relationship together. You know, prayer is a binding and a unifying spiritual activity. Have you heard that old adage, a family that prays together what? There you go. Some of you have been in church a long time. But it goes the same, a couple that prays together, what? A church that prays together, what? See, there's something unifying that happens when we come together and we pray together. So the first thing we learn that Jesus teaches us about prayer is this. We approach God as Father. This is so important, and we might overlook this as Jesus is teaching, but what this means is you and I have full access to him because he's our father. Like, he's your father, so you get to go to him. You don't get to go to someone else's father, but your father you can go to at any time. Your father's always there ready to listen to you. He'll put aside what's going on in his life to take an ear to what you have to say. So when we approach God, we need to have this understanding that our relationship with him is as a father and a son or a father and a daughter. This tells us that we don't have to negotiate or bargain with God. And so Jesus is laying this foundation. He says, when you go in prayer, you don't need to try to earn what you're asking for. He's your father. You can go and you can ask him. See, this relationship gives you instant permission to him. It gives you instant access to him. But maybe you didn't have a great father example here on earth. Or maybe your father wasn't around a lot, and so it's hard to see God as this good father or as this one who wants to give you good things. But Psalm 68 verse 5 says, A father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. See, God is a father to the fatherless and every application of that word fatherless. If he was absent, if he wasn't around at all, if he wasn't kind or he wasn't good, God becomes a good father to you. He becomes the right example of what a faithful father should be. He is a a good father in every way. And James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights. See, God is incapable of giving you bad things. He can't give you a bad gift. If you ask him for something, he's going to give you something good. And know this, that God hasn't changed. He's the same today in his approach to you. He isn't going to give you something that's going to harm you. Now, the, the address of our Father in heaven, as he uh, applies that position of where he is in heaven, it helps give balance to our access to him. 
See, our Father in heaven defines his greatness. So we shouldn't just go casually into his presence. We shouldn't uh, walk into his presence without respect because we understand that he's a father in heaven. He's greater than this earth. He's greater than all things. And so we want to make sure that although we approach him as father, that we're coming in reverence. We're coming in respect of his divinity. And addressing him as our heavenly father gives us the proper context and perspective of going into his presence. We honor, we respect him, but then we know that there's nothing or no one greater than him because he's our father in heaven. So the first thing is we approach him as our father. That gives us complete access. Number two, Jesus teaches about prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This may be the biggest struggle when it comes to prayer, because there seems to be a constant tug of war between my will and God's will, right? We want to go to God and say, God, this is what you need to do today for me. This is my need and my situation, and this is what I want you to do. And he's like, really? And I could tell you from personal experience, it's not a battle you're going to win. See, prayer is not like rubbing a, a magic lamp, summoning a genie, who will grant you three wishes. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is casting my cares upon God so that his will will be done in my situation. See, it's often your will that created the mess which caused you to cast your cares on him. So why would you go to him and invoke your will when your will made a mess of everything? And if there's one thing that history teaches us is that whenever we reject God's will and pursue our own, we make trouble. All the way from the very first opportunity in the Garden of Eden, when the options were laid in front of us and we said, no, that doesn't look as good as what I want to do. Let's try this. And the world has never been the same since. See, you need to keep in mind when you pray, you're limited by what you see. See, it's okay to ask God for specific answers in prayer, but we also must go to him with a submissive attitude and relinquish our will to his will. So whether you submit or not, it doesn't change God's answers. But when you go to him with a submissive heart, it prepares you to receive God's answer with the right attitude. So when God doesn't answer your prayer request or demand like you want, it allows your spirit to be softened because you have a submissive heart to receive what God has for you. So you and I only see how our request or the answer we want affects us. Or maybe we're able to pray for someone else and we say, God, this is what you need to do for this person. And, and we see how that might have an impact in their life. But God sees past, present, and future as it's happening at the same moment. So he has a much grander view of life and he understands how answering your prayer not only affects you, but those around you, those involved in your life. And so he answers it according to his will. He understands how your prayers will affect people, places, and things around you that you're unaware of. See, God's purposes are three-dimensional. He wants to transform you, he wants to prepare you, and he wants to welcome you into heaven. See, so many times we pray as if this world is the best we've got. 
But God is constantly preparing you and I through every trial, through every struggle, through every battle, through every prayer request. God is transforming us, preparing us for a place that he's preparing for us. So when he doesn't answer your prayer according to your will, it's because his will is about getting you to heaven. It's about seeing you cross that finish line. And so we may pray for things that may deter that outcome, but God keeps all of that in focus at all times. See, we often pray with one dimension, my comfort, my ease. God, answer this because if you don't, it's going to be uncomfortable, and I don't want to be uncomfortable. But know that the goal of prayer is not to get God on board with your plans, but for you to surrender your will for his plans. I should say amen, but I don't have my amen sign. That is a great time for an amen. See, when we pray, we're asking for the kingdom of God to be established within our family. When we pray, we're asking for God's kingdom to be established in our workplace. God's kingdom to be established in our mess. God's kingdom to be established in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. So we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're asking for God to establish his kingdom. See, that word kingdom is powerful. That the suffix to that word kingdom is dome, and it means domain. So where God's kingdom is established, God has full domain or authority. And so our goal isn't to suggest or invoke our will or our kingdom, but his all-surpassing, all-powerful domain and authority into our situation. So I'm not sure why you and I would want to invoke our will or our kingdom in our prayers because it pales in comparison to his kingdom. I mean, who of us here as popular or as successful as we've been, has greater authority than God. None of us. So let's invoke his kingdom into our prayer requests, his kingdom into our prayers. Let's surrender our will so that his will can be done. See, all kingdoms of the world bow to his sovereignty. Even when the kingdoms of this world resist God, they're playing right into his hand. See, because in their anger, they're blinded by their wrath and they don't see how God's hand is moving or working in that situation. So we want to establish God's kingdom. See, I may not understand what God is doing. I may not be able to see how I see the good uh, that he's working out in the moment. I may not even like the end result of my prayer, but we know that God is good and that his will is best. See, heaven is earth's perfection. So we don't want to reverse the order and we want to see heaven on earth, not earth in heaven. The third thing that Jesus is teaching about prayer, he says this, give us this day our daily bread. Now this is the part in the prayer and our prayer time that we'll probably spend the most of our time. This is where we bring our needs, our requests, uh, our uh, concerns, our cares to God. See, this is the element of prayer that includes our needs. Daily bread is a reminder to commune with God regularly. 
So we ask God for daily bread. You know, in our fast-paced, time-obsessed culture, we would prefer to ask God for weekly bread. Okay, give me all the bread I need for the week. Or, or maybe our monthly bread. God, give me all the dough I need for the month. Or some of us are so uh, time sensitive that God, just give me in this one prayer meeting all the bread for the year. Because I don't have time to come back tomorrow. And God's like, no, I want to spend time with you tomorrow. So I'm going to ration and portion and give you what you need for today so that you'll come back tomorrow for tomorrow's ration or portion. See, there will be needs today which God wants you to depend on him for. And I sometimes wonder if God allows us to go through seasons of leanness so that we'll go back to him. So that we'll be driven to him and realize that he's our portion, he's our provider. See, this is also a statement of the sufficiency of God in our life for every day. It reinforces in us that his provision is enough. See, just like manna was delivered during the Exodus, enough for each day. Every family went out, every person went out and got enough for themselves or enough for their family for that day. And they went back and it never ran out. They always, no matter how much they gathered, it was always enough. When God says, give us this day our daily bread, he's telling us, come to me daily because the strength I'll give you in this communion time is going to be enough. It's going to be all. You don't know what's going to, what you're going to face tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to face later that day. But it's going to be enough if you spend time with me. My grace, my strength, my provision is sufficient for you. See, communicating with God and depending on him daily will give you all the strength and the courage you need to face today with. So we go to him daily, we go to him regularly, we draw upon uh, his resources, his strength, his courage to get us through each day. So the third thing he teaches us is he wants us to uh, come to him regularly. The fourth thing here that Jesus, and this is a big one, forgive us our debts as we have also forgive our debtors. See, this component of prayer has the potential of silencing your faith. See, I believe that's why at the end of teaching them how to pray in verse 14 and 15, he he goes back to this principle of forgiving. See, he said this in verse 14 and 15, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. If you don't forgive others, your God in heaven won't forgive you. See, there's something so important about being forgiven and forgiving others that Jesus doesn't want us to withhold from others. See, because Jesus has forgiven you, you and I are required to forgive others. Now, take note of the wording in this passage. He says, forgive us as as we also have forgiven others. So he's already presuming that because you've received forgiveness, you will forgive others. It's implied, it's inextricably tied together, your forgiveness as well as having a willingness to forgive others. It doesn't mean you're okay with what they've done. It doesn't mean you give them permission to do it again. It, mean, it doesn't excuse their behavior 
But forgiving means you are no longer holding it against them, just as God no longer holds your sin against you. Now, the Greek translation into the English word debts is most accurate as it expresses an inability to pay. You have an inability to repay the debt you have incurred, and so God has freely forgiven you, and so you're to freely forgive others. The need to ask for forgiveness recognizes our sinfulness and how God is the only one who is capable of paying our debt. See, when you think about it, why would you withhold forgiveness for what someone has done to you when God has forgiven you of everything past, present, and the stuff you've yet to do. Like there are sins tomorrow morning you're going to commit. There are thoughts you're going to have that don't align with the word of God. And God's already said, I'll forgive you of those. So why would you withhold forgiveness from someone who's hurt you? See, let me just, this is not in my notes this morning, but... If you're offended, get over it. You don't have the right to be offended. You, it doesn't matter. Well, you don't know what they've done to me. No, you don't have the right to be offended. No, you don't understand what they did to my child or to my spouse or what they have did to me repeatedly. You don't have the right to be offended. If you want to hold on to that offense, ergo unforgiveness, then know that you are responsible for your sin debt. You're responsible for coming up with a way of paying off your sin debt, and newsflash, you can't. It's impossible. So if you're offended, let go of it before it destroys you and robs you of the joy that God wants you to have through forgiving, being forgiven and forgiving others. See, when we choose to forgive, it frees us from harboring offense or resentment towards others. I looked online to see if there was any sort of possible studies that talked about medically the impact unforgiveness has. First of all, do you know that like, unforgiveness is not really a word? Spell checker kept coming, highlighting that word red, telling me, fix this word. I'm like, what? See, like, we shouldn't even be, we shouldn't even harbor unforgiveness because it's not even a word. It's like saying ain't. Ain't ain't a word. Which I know now they've just given up because we all say it. They're like, put it in the dictionary. They're not going to stop. And maybe that's what's going to happen with unforgiveness. But really, it's not a word because it can't be done because it shouldn't be done. But back to the adverse effects it has on your physical and mental health. Unforgiveness elevates our stress levels, which can cause high blood pressure. You got high blood pressure, you better start looking at who you need to forgive. Unforgiveness will cause intense responses to people that are disproportionate to the situation. Man, have I met people like this. Have you ever said to someone, how's your day? What do you mean, how's my day? Like they just blow up. You're like, whoa. I, that, your response is just disproportionate. How's your day? You met people like that? They just fly off the handle. They're just so, they're fused, ready to explode. Oftentimes that's because there's unforgiveness. Because they're harboring that offense and they're just so angry and they don't see good in everything. They see the accusation and uh, that could be unforgiveness. Uh, chronic unforgiveness can lead to depression. 
If you're struggling with depression and feeling uh, positive and everything is negative and everything is gloom, studies have shown that the source or chronic unforgiveness can lead to that. So you need to look at who's hurt you and you need to forgive them. You need to make that right if for nothing else but your own mental well-being. And then forgiving is a key step in healing mental and emotional trauma. So the, 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 per, the goal is forgive because God has forgiven you. And this could affect your prayers adversely if you choose not to. And the fifth thing that Jesus teaches us on prayer is to lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, this final component of effective prayer is about asking God daily, regularly, to navigate us through the trials and the temptations that are waiting for you. So I can tell you right now that as soon as you walk out these doors, there are going to be trials and temptations waiting for you. Some of them are going to come in the form of other drivers. Some of them are going to come in the form of a bad waitress or waiter or a cook who doesn't know what they're doing. Some of them are going to be more significant when you get to work on Monday. But there are trials and there are temptations waiting for you. And so Jesus says, listen, ask God to help you navigate those. Ask him to give you discernment, to see beyond the surface, to see beyond that waitress or that waiter or that cook, to see beyond that coworker and understand the hurt that they're harboring and not go after them, but maybe be a source of healing for them. Maybe be a source of encouragement for them, but ask God to give you discernment. See, scripture is clear that God does not tempt us with evil but that there is an evil one who prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He is setting traps and he will attempt to use your emotions, disappointment, letdowns, and discouragement to trip you up. So you need discernment. You need wisdom to see beyond and through those trappings. See, Jesus instructs us to pray so that we can overcome these trials and temptations of the devil. And just as Jesus later states in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, we need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. See, we will face trials and tribulations in this life. Jesus made that very clear in John 16. But we don't have to fear because he's overcome this world. So he says, ask me, ask your father to help you navigate so that you can work around the traps of your enemy. See, prayer is meant to be an effective and regular part of your life. Jesus, the master prayer, gives us an outline to help us shape our prayers so you don't have to be intimidated by praying. See, nothing, notice in Jesus' lesson, says that in order to effectively pray, it starts with a minimum of one hour. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say if you're going to pray effectively, and there's nothing wrong with praying an hour. There's nothing wrong with praying longer than that. That's a good goal to have, but that's not the key to effective prayer. Jesus says nothing about the words you use. He doesn't tell you to speak in King James when you pray if you want your prayers to be effective. He didn't say anything about that. 
There's nothing wrong with eloquent speech. There's nothing wrong with uh, being very clear and precise in your words. That's great, but that doesn't make your prayers effective. If you mumble through your words because you just don't know what to say, but you have faith, God hears that. So nothing is said about the time or the style of prayer. So don't let that hinder you from praying. Listen, I, there are people in this church and that are, in my words, magnificent prayers. And I love to be around them because they, they approach prayer so radically different from me. But that doesn't make their prayers any more powerful than yours. So don't get caught up in that. Don't think, well, I, I got to pray like them, but I tried and I just sound lousy. It's because that's not who God made you to be. That's who God made them to be. But Jesus gives us a model. He gives us a structure so that we can fill in and that we can go and pray and be effective in our praying. See, we're instructed to pray as God is our Father. We have access to him. We are to pray to establish his kingdom and his will in our needs, not our destructive will or our weak kingdoms. We're to pray daily and depend upon God to give us everything we need for today. We're to forgive anyone who has sinned against you just as Jesus has forgiven all of your sin. And we're to pray for God to give us discernment to avoid the temptation of your enemy.